Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and my father liked to say that I was unburdened by conversational boundaries. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and you're going to need to do better than theorize. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of good enough global governance and Vroom's expectancy theory. <laughs> Today, we'll be talking about Strange New Worlds, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus, Dan, what do we got coming up? We will be doing Emily St. John Mandel's Station Eleven, so the novel, not the HBO Max show. And then I believe we're doing Jurassic Park, the original. Yes. yes. Which the, the I, good one. Yes. With, without the bad Chris. Right. And also, I will be a Jurassic Park virgin. I've never seen it before, so I'm looking forward to this. It, it'll it be interesting to see how it feels for someone that never saw it. Because, you know, the special effects aren't probably going to feel as cool. Maybe, and but... It's also just culturally so present. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what will feel new or fresh about it. We will find out. Dan, we are supported by patrons. Mostly. I mean, you know, we're also supported. I'd by like to think our families play a role yeah. and our friends and all that. But yes, our patrons are an important part of our social network. That is a fair way of putting it. How would someone become a patron? So if you go to patreon.com slash space the nation, you could then choose to become a patron. And... That's a pretty great way of supporting the show because, you know, you and also it's a sweet deal. There's actually like mutual exchange because in return for becoming a patron, you get early access to podcasts. You get access to the Discord channel. You get access to our monthly AMAs. And also, you know, you're part of a pretty cool community. The Discord is, of course, the main reason to join, Mm -hmm. I think. It is a very cool little community. And speaking of cool and communities, the Discord (laughs) came up with an amazing idea that, Dan, you've already bought into. I am enthusiastic about this idea. So we are obviously, you know, about a month or two from now, we're going to be doing Hot Sci-Fi Summer, which will be a mostly 80s-themed collection of, of things to talk about. But... The Discord members have come up with the idea of cool sci-fi winter, which we will be doing next January, which I am down for. And we'll be taking very literally. Yes. We're doing like winter and cold themed movies. Whereas hot sci-fi summer just applies to like hotness. Yes. As a concept. Right. With cold sci-fi summer, we are being literal. It is all. We're being very literal. It's not about, you know, it's not about Isaac Hayes. You know, singing <laughs> in a sci-fi. You know, Isaac Hayes. You mean Oscar Isaac? No, I meant Isaac Hayes. Because "Theme <laughs> okay. from Shaft" is the coolest okay. song oh, ever. Oh, that kind ever. of cool. That was right, what I thought right. by cool. You were I'm just sorry. jumping genres with for me. I, I there should be a black. You know, I don't know now. Is there a black exploitation sci-fi? Because like now, I want to know if that's actually a thing. The point is, we were interpreting "Cool" not as in a, a sort of zeitgeist way, but in a temperature way. Would that be the, the right. way of putting it? Yes. I'm excited for The Thing, which we Ooh, definitely yes. should be doing. it, and, and came up for our scary sci-fi month. But yes. we're, I think we're going to do scary sci-fi. Like, if we're still doing this in October of 2023. Yeah, then we can do scary sci-fi. Yeah. So become a patron mm-hmm. or just rate and review us. Tell your friends and neighbors. We love seeing you in the Discord, but we also love seeing you on Twitter. Just interacting with us there. Yes, and you can reach us there. I am at Dan Dresner. She is at Anna Marie Cox. Dan, how are you? I'm well, Anna. <laughs> My, I, I am laughing because Dan was very mysterious about his family obligations <laughs> this weekend. Well, you know, I, but I like this Which way. I don't expect you to share everything. I'm the one without conversational boundaries. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I like share. Part of it is like sometimes you ask me these things via text, and like you're asking me at a moment where like, okay, we're about to get in the car and go. Like, I, I can't quite, you know, <laughs> devote the energy to explaining everything. But I am, I am good. If among other things, my uh, entire family is home, which is a lovely feeling. My son has graduated from college. He's now home for the summer before he heads out for grad school. So you know, it's it's nice having a slightly more populated house, and we are, you know, seeing our extended family as well. And this is always a good thing. What is your son going to graduate school for? He is going to be pursuing a master's, possibly a PhD in sociology. Hmm. So yeah. not far off on the social sciences tree. Correct, but far off enough so that I am comfortable with it. Um, I, <laughs> it in You're not going to get into the ugly business of poli sci. Well, mostly. I, I, <laughs> the doggy dog world. <laughs> mostly the incestuous world of poli sci. Okay. Like, you know, there's a degree to which, I mean, there's a disturbing degree to which the academy is now like people getting PhDs are often children of people getting PhDs, but at least yeah. Sam's doing a different field. And this is a good That's thing. That's the only people it looks good to. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> right. Fair enough. 30, 12, 31. And how are you doing, Mama? Dan, I am hot. <laughs> and I, well, and, yes. And I, that is a comment both, I suppose, on just hotness <laughs> as, a, as a category, but also we have gotten to the 100 degree days here in Texas. Oh, dear. And um, it is stupid hot, I like to call it. Uh. <laughs> that's that's a good phrase. No, 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 I like that phrase. The the one summer I spent in Austin, I remember it was it it actually felt a lot like a Boston winter in the sense of you you could be out for very short periods of time during the day, and otherwise the one difference is that like if you were out like early in the morning or or after the sun was setting, that was more pleasant. Yeah, I mean, I prefer to be in this kind of weather than Minnesota, frankly. Fair enough. Yes. In part because yeah, like if you go out and do the stuff you got to do before like eleven, mm-hmm. it's going to be okay-ish right. earlier better right mm-hmm. whereas like if you're in minnesota there's no time of day <laughs> that it's not going to be really fucking cold <laughs> you are going to be cold no matter what that is correct it's going to be fucking cold all the time yeah uh, so yeah. but it is a lot like that in that you just have to you stay inside a lot and in fact yeah, yeah i mean i just try to get actually just super worn out by noon <laughs> and then we both stay inside so (laughs) that's how i'm doing the one drawback is that it getting a lot done before noon is great except that it sometimes makes me feel like i don't feel satisfaction at the end of the day for some reason because there was such a long period where you didn't do yeah yeah yeah, i understand so anyway working on that working on it all right well let's get back to star trek colon strange new worlds (laughs) I'm sorry, now I'm thinking what would be a show that would be called Star Trek colon. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what? Here, I wouldn't put it past them. You you would truly go where no one has gone be- before, and, potentially. And, <laughs> and, and we can talk a little bit about the franchise, but yeah. the franchise would go there. That's like, true, they it's, would. That's a fair point. You know, it's like Impossible Journey or something. Like, they would do it. They totally would do it. They will do anything with the IP. Like, talk about yeah. IP is a flat circle. But let's move on. We have a Chekhov's What's It to cover, but not the Chekhov of Star Trek, unfortunately. This is just a... That is correct. the the original Chekhov. Yes. I wish we could have a Chekhov's Chekhov, like he had a cameo (laughs) or something, but no. Mm. What's your Chekhov's What's It, Dan? My Chekhov's What's It, and this show is in some ways littered with Chekhov's What's It's because this show is a prequel in a lot of ways. And indeed, the core premise is based around something that's going to happen in the future. So I will therefore go with what's going to happen in the future, which is Christopher Pike's deformed face. (laughs) 
which he sees constantly <laughs> in reflections, which is what his future will, that is the future that is calling to him at some point. I'm going to go with Chekhov's Gorn. <laughs> The Gorn. Which, I, which is ironic since technically we never see them. They get used, let's say. Yes. They do go off. Much, like, much like the gun but, over the mantle. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. The Gorn do go off. They go fair off. Enough. I know we're supposed to do the story behind the story mm-hmm. next, but we, I think we can skip it. <laughs> yeah. List, if you have listened this far and are unfamiliar with Star Trek or the Star Trek universe, I'm just going to recommend that you... You do not have to be a patron of this podcast anymore. I don't think there's any point well, to it. You know, out of the or, goodness or, of your heart, keep giving us. Yeah, money. Oh, if you want, yes, if you want to absentmindedly <laughs> continue to give us money, that's fair. But like, if you're not going to enjoy a Star Trek episode, then then there's some some issues. So should we get to the plot? Okay, and let's everybody know we're going to cover the first four episodes. This is that's an correct. Episodic. Perhaps this is a little bit of the story behind the story because this yeah. is, you know, every Star Trek they do now has some tiny Philip. On the original <laughs> premise, right? Mm-hmm. Mostly just on the timeline, which is interesting. Eventually, I guess you can never run out of timeline, right? Right. You can just constantly go forward. Right. But I, I would say the the other the other way to put this is that so there are approximately I think five Star Trek shows now on Paramount, and the other ones it would be safe to say, or that it started with Discovery, and it would be safe to say the Discovery went full like warp ten on the serialization concept of mm-hmm. television, which is, whereas most Star Trek like episodes... It's prestige Star Trek. Right. It's aiming for prestige Star Trek. I don't know if it achieves yeah. it, but it is aiming for it. And so as a result, the entire plot line of every season is is highly serialized. And this is not that. This is more, I would say, 1990s degree of Star Trek, which did have some it serial plot lines. It almost goes back to TOS, I think. Yes. It's so self-contained. Yeah. Like, each episode right. is very self-contained that's correct yeah but and, i mean there's clearly some things that are gonna that are gonna be through lines i think through the plot yeah, yeah. but you could sit uh, for instance karen dear karen she yes. could watch an episode of this and she would need to know nothing about the background in order to enjoy it that is fair and i think oh yeah i mean after listening to this podcast of course and i think alwyn would probably enjoy it as well that's true that's true i always miss space pets i was like you know <laughs> That was one of the things about the the Enterprise, which is often thought of as the you know stepbrother of this whole yeah. IP thing. But they had a dog. Porthos yeah. was the dog. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we should just situate this very quickly for people who are Star Trek fans but haven't watched this particular franchise, this particular spinoff. Mm-hmm. This takes place. Obviously, it has Captain Pike. So this takes place before the original series, after Discovery. Uh, yeah, so I was, uh, I will say this, this, basically this show picks up where season two of Discovery leaves off. After season two of Discovery, Discovery goes conveniently a thousand years into the future through a plot device whereby no one will ever mention that name again um, in (laughs) traditional canon, which is almost like so convenient that you have to laugh. But yes, the way to put it is I believe the events in, in Strange New Worlds take place roughly seven or eight years before the start of Star Trek, the original series. All right. Well, now we've established that. Let's get on with the Mm -hmm. actual plots of the show. Yeah. All right. Let's get to act one. This Enterprise crew, they fuck. So as I previously noted, this show picks up about three months after the events of season two of Star Trek Discovery. Pike, when not sleeping with other starship captains, is in his Montana cabin coping with cases of A, spectacular hair, and B, pre-traumatic stress disorder. Yes, that's right. I said pre-traumatic. 
During his time on Discovery, he went to the Klingon planet Boreth and saw that a decade into the future, he will suffer a debilitating, disfiguring accident to save the lives of some cadets. These are events that are discussed in the Star Trek original series episode, The Menagerie. It's safe to say that he's ambivalent about returning to the Enterprise. Spock, meanwhile, is being courted by T'Pring, and it looks like they're about to get it on. Anna, is this Enterprise career even randier than Kirk's Enterprise? I'm not sure if there's enough fucking to justify calling it, <laughs> you know, this Enterprise they fuck. There was, I mean, on screen, yeah. no fucking on the other, you know, TOS. No, of course not. But no. Kirk was a thirsty oh, motherfucker. Kirk <laughs> fell for every thirst trap in the galaxy, That's it would right. be safe to and, say. And, you know, it was, the, it was kind of a joke. And the series yeah. seemed to somewhat be in on that joke, right? Mm -hmm. We aren't seeing that at all. With Captain Pike. He just has a, you know, a friend with benefits on Earth. With another captain. With another yes. captain. It, it does seem to be friend with benefits and not really like super like romance. serious no that's true yes we've only so we only see this woman in the this captain in the first episode i think you know, what it might have been is that literally in the first half of the first episode you see both kirk and spock in really it was, in it was romantic interesting. situations yes. where they express desire yes that would be the way to put yeah it. and for spock especially it's an intriguing thing to drop in as your very first introduction to the character exactly i actually was thinking about pike's relative celibacy Mm -hmm. As this, as we watched further episodes, because I was like, yeah. that would be because this show is so faithful to the feel of TOS. Yeah, I almost expected it to pick up on the girl in every port idea. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because he's so yeah, yeah, Kirkian. Yeah. Pike is so Kirk like. Oh, I don't know if no. See, this is where I'm going to disagree. I don't think Pike he's is a quite spin like on Kirk. Kirk. Like he's. I feel like the I, show and, references, obviously. No, the I'm gonna. I, I disagree somewhat. Like, there's a, been a lot of discussion about how Strange New Worlds evokes the original series, and I think that's absolutely true. But I think in talking about Pike, you're doing a disservice, particularly to Anson Mount and also Anson Mount's hair. But we'll put the hair to one side for two a second. I think Pike exudes. I, I guess I would put a sort of more mature form of command than Kirk did. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he's a better captain, although we will talk yeah. about yes, yes, some yes. of the things that made me laugh about his leadership style. Yeah. But the show just seems like in a very postmodern way to mm -hmm. kind of incorporate the stuff that is still usable and fun. Yes. About the original series. I think fun is the important. But that's why here, because, it would be sort of yeah. funny to do the girl in every port thing. And that somehow is true. Yeah. Make that not bad and not problematic make it not creepy yes <laughs> make it that, not that's, problematic somehow yes exactly. i don't know how yes. they would do it maybe they're just not up for the challenge anyway let's move on we should move on <laughs> yes anyway the point is admiral april ain't having any of pike's ambivalence as pike's number one who has a name in this series una chin riley is missing from the uss archer after a first contact mission to kylie 279 that went awry April orders Pike to take the Enterprise to find out what's what. Pike interrupts Spock almost mid-coitus uh, so that he can rejoin the crew. Also along for the ride are a mix of familiar and unfamiliar faces. Cadet Uhura, Dr. Mbenga, Helmsman Ortegas, Nurse Chapel, and substitute number one, Lon Noonien Singh. They arrive at Kylie 279, which is technologically a century behind other normal warp-capable worlds, and has furthermore not really developed a warp drive so much but a warp bomb. 
Pike susses out that the planet reversed-engineered their warp capability from observing the events that led to Discovery taking a wormhole into the future at the end of Discovery Season 2. Feeling responsible for what happened, Pike violates General Order Number 1 and offers Federation membership to a divided world, which actually seems to work. Anna, there's been a lot of talk about how Strange New Worlds, as we said, revives the optimism of Roddenberry-era Star Trek, and yet it is hard not to notice the explicit references to the January 6th insurrection in the pilot episode. Did that work for you as well as Anson Mount's lustrous salt-and-pepper hair? You know, well, nothing works as well as Anson Mount's hair. <laughs> that's I mean, true. That's, that's that a, a very That was a trick bar. question. That's, I, a, that's I, a trick I, question. I don't think anything in this mortal coil, like, quite lives up to his hair. I mean, I'm joking, but at the same time, that hair is spectacular. It's (laughs) amazing. It really is. Yeah. (laughs) And doesn't look fake either. Like, that's the thing. No. Oh, no. It's it's just amazing hair. I love the first, you know, the original series so much. Mm -hmm. It it is. It holds. I I think I might have said this when we did the the triples episode. Like, it it holds a real special place in my heart. It was like one of the first TV shows I remember watching with my mom. Same with Star Trek was one of the first shows I watched with my dad. So yeah, yeah and that. like yeah. having it be kind of a special occasion. Although at that yeah. point, I realized it was already in reruns. This is like you know, the right. mid 70s. But yeah. even then, like I, there was something kind of goofy but endearing about the way that that Star Trek transparently took on, you know, mm-hmm. social issues. Like every episode of Star Trek is a very special episode, right? Yes, that's a good way of putting it. Yes. <laughs> There's a reason why Star Trek episodes are often used in, like, political theory classes. Let's put put it that way. This one, I guess it felt a little ham-fisted, which Mm -hmm. I feel like almost is unfair because the original series is so ham-fisted. Ham-fisted, yeah. But my problem with it, though, as I texted you, is that Mm -hmm. this is our first glimpse at Pike's leadership style, which is basically, do this. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Which is Kirkian, which is very Kirkian. It's just That's like true. his leadership style, which becomes to me a little more endearing as the series went on. Right. Seemed more questionable in this particular episode. It was because it really is just like, don't tell me you can't do it. You can do it. I, so <laughs> two, I guess two things about this. The first is I really was. And is that leadership? Re- if sometimes people really can't, like sometimes it's like not yeah. physically yeah. possible or whatever. Anyway. So, a few things. First of all, I think it's worth noting that I think one of the reasons this show even exists is that Anson Mount really did knock it out of the park when he played the role of Pike yeah. in Discovery. And again, in this, like, there's a moment where he beams into a discuss, like, a debate between the f- different factions, and he just says hi. And the way he says hi is so goddamn perfect. You know, it's sort of like an acknowledgement of, yeah, I'm intruding, but I really have something important to say. It's just extremely well done. But I think the more interesting question about strange new worlds is that it's an interesting moment in the in the our current moment which is star trek is all about or at least the best star trek is all about offering the promise of a better future and we are now in a world where let's face it there are a lot of people who are very pessimistic about that and so one of the interesting questions is how do you sell an optimistic show in a pessimistic world and i think again Credit to the showrunners, I do think they do that, but it does perhaps require a somewhat greater, you know, willing suspension of disbelief than would otherwise have been the case, perhaps. I agree that yeah. they have managed to create a show with optimism. Right. And they have made a, you know, a show that incorporates a lot of social justice themes right. with yeah. optimism. And it 
mostly Do you think... doesn't feel forced. But sometimes, I like, I, maybe it was the problem mostly... is that in the pilot, the optimism isn't... <laughs> Perhaps that... Maybe the issue is is that for it to work, the optimism has to be earned. You have to yeah. believe in the characters. You have to believe in the Federation. And part of the problem is, is that in the pilot, you're only getting a glimpse of this so far, and that maybe it wasn't earned at that point. And I do feel like that's where they're really writing on the goodwill of the original yeah. series. That is, and that's no, where that I feel like sometimes you... some of that, and I'm, I mean, positive that all of that, the feel of the show yeah. references that, and that's for a reason. Right. I mean, right down to the font, for God's sakes. The font, the uniforms, yeah. like, they're really trying to show you that we are definitely in this same universe, in this same timeline, although theoretically everyone is, but... <laughs> I think is the fidelity to that is more than other. Yes. Star yes. Treks. Yes. And, and it's, it's pleasant. It's nostalgia. It'll be mm -hmm. interesting to see how this series does and sort of where it goes with it. And All right, let's get to act two. Comets are cool, but AI comets are even cooler. So in episode two, Pike is still dealing with his PTSD. Uhura is dealing with the question of whether she even wants to be in Starfleet. And Chapel is dealing with just how damn fine a man Spock is. All of this gets interrupted by a comet that seems to be on a collision course with the pre-industrial planet Persephone 3. The Enterprise detects force field technology on the comet, and that ain't supposed to be there. So, Pike sends Spock, La'an, Uhura, and Samuel Kirk, that's right, James Tiberius' older brother, to the comet's surface. The landing party sees an egg-looking structure. Sam, being a Kirk, decides to touch it and gets zapped unconscious for his troubles. A shield is raised, making it impossible for the Enterprise to beam them back. This leaves Uhura the task of trying to decipher what is going on. At the same time, the Enterprise encounters a ship belonging to a group called the Shepherds. They call the comet Mahanit and believe their sacred duty is to allow the Arbiter, aka the comet, to proceed on its preordained path wherever it may lead, even if it puts itself and others in danger. They fire on the Enterprise for trying to interfere. Anna, I dug the Shepherds' religious view of the comet. Uh, did that work for you? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's an interesting... This I felt very original series, -E. yeah, very yeah. TOS to like kind of posit a religion that seems really strange, but then have the Enterprise deal with it in a very sensitive way. I would say that wasn't TOS. I, that's this is that's more a next generation that, vibe to me, more actually. Picardy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, Although I think the original series did for its time. Yeah, first <laughs> like, time definitely treated yeah. religion. Well, what's funny about it is I think. I think this is in sort of the ethos of the show is that mm -hmm. it is kind of acknowledged that our all religions are freaky. <laughs> yes. And right. have and and just it's our context for them that seems strange. And I like it that Pike doesn't really question their beliefs. Like he doesn't try to really argue with them. No, it's clear that Pike thinks this is a little nuts, but he also recognizes there is no point in challenging them on this. Right. Which is yeah. A cool way to deal with them. I mean, yes, and, and it it dodges the idea that what if someone's belief system says it's okay to kill millions of people, right? <laughs> yeah, but that that's not what the series is interested in right now. Well, no religion would ever call for that. <laughs> Anna. What are you talking right. about? Right. So that would be truly science fiction. Yes, I yes. I did like Uhura in mm -hmm. in this, and she's definitely one of the sort of. I mean, she's intended to be a breakout from this, but right. Yeah. I'm loving her character. Yes, and she seems enjoyable. to kind of. You can see her growing up into being Nichelle. Nicole, Nichelle Nichols. Yes, Nichelle yeah. Nichols. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
After some pep talks of varying quality from Spock, Uhura figures out that music is the key to interacting with the controls on the comet. She sings, and the egg structure responds by lowering its shields, allowing the landing party to be beam backed and Sam Kirk to be treated. Pike comes up with an ingenious plan to intervene. He has the Enterprise fly in front of the comet and requests assistance from the Shepherds. While they are distracted with the rescue, Spock pilots a shuttle close to the comet and uses its heat shield to shear off a section of that comet. That diverts it away from Persephone 3 while also releasing a significant amount of life-sustaining water vapor into the atmosphere. The episode closes with Uhura uncovering a star chart transmitted by the comet to the Enterprise. It was sent before Spock's shuttle mission, and the chart included an exact likeness of the piece of ice that broke off from the comet and altered its course. Uhura theorizes that the comet knew its fate, and this brings a smile to Pike who knows a little something about fate. Anna, one of the interesting plot twists on this show is that Pike not only knows his fate of being destroyed, you know, being debilitated by this accident, but he also knows exactly who he saves in the incident that cripples him, which is why he resists the notion of changing that fate. Or at least I thought this was interesting. What did you think? I thought it was interesting, too. In a weird way, it's realistic. Yeah. Like, it's what I think any of us would probably do. You know? I think it's what any of us in Starfleet would do, to be clear. But, yeah, and also yeah. he doesn't know yet. I guess, right, if if you were not a person of honor, I guess you would just quit Starfleet and like go yeah. off to Montana, right? Yeah, exactly, right. Although, depends on how heavily one believes in fate, right? Right. And it's interesting, of course, to put this in the episode about religion, which is yes. they're very intentionally doing. Yeah, but yeah. it sort of brings into question faith, right? Well, I, but I also think it's interesting because Not in some question, ways... But it, it brings yeah. up the idea of, like, fate and faith are intertwined. Right. But the other thing that I find interesting about this is that, you know, the whole ethos of Star Trek is the idea that of the ability to do stuff. It's can-doism, right? It's the idea that you can make your own fate. And what's interesting about this is the idea that Pike recognizes that this is his fate, and it seems pretty clear that he's decided that while this is somewhat troubling, the cost is worth the coin, the idea that he is saving so many lives. And that is a nobling of him, I guess would be the way. And I guess I will also add some, as a person of faith, a little, yeah. you know, kind of sidebar, which Please is do. to say that I've mentioned before the number of atheists that try to argue with me. <laughs> the only yes. people that do, I swear yeah. to God, like when I was an atheist, I had very few Christians trying to argue with me about atheism. But so, or but when atheists I was an are almost—they're yeah. almost zealous in their their yeah, attempt to argue evangelical. with evangelical. Yeah, yeah. And you know the notion of fate and mm -hmm. free will is something that atheists feel pretty strongly about, mm -hmm. right? Like, why if you really yeah. believe in fate or you really believe that God's controlling the universe, like why do anything? Why, like you know, yeah. whatever. And that is where we come back to, for me, actually, sort of something that comes from AA, but I think is relevant to anyone that has an idea of a benevolent higher power, right. which is, number one, obviously, we can't know. Mm -hmm. So who are we to, like, try and prevent something or try and make something happen? Right. And the more important thing is, in AA, we call it, just do the next right thing. Hmm. On an individual day-to-day -day level... I think that's where Pike is and how how yeah. I see him dealing with it and how I might deal with it, which is that what is the next right thing to do? And if you keep just doing that mm -hmm. and it still gets you to blow in, get your face blown off, you know, Burn, well, whatever. Yeah. you follow the path that you thought was the moral and right path. Yeah. 
And so what else could you have? It's sort of, I mean, again, so it's a, it's kind of circular logic, but it's the way to feel okay about your life, even if you think there is something out there that's creating a different pattern for you. Yeah. Am I making that's sense? <laughs> no, that does. I think that makes sense in this. It, how would I put this? Weirdly, by narrowing your 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 time yeah. frame, by looking only at what your next choice is, it actually does sort of help to obscure the larger questions. And frankly, that's probably how most of us, whether atheist or religious, get through the day. And it's yeah. also probably the better way to get through the day. Well, it just it doesn't obscure the fact of fate. It just makes you think about the tiny choices that you do get to yeah. have, which are exactly. super fucking important. Right. Like all yeah. those tiny choices we make through the day we should take them very seriously, you mm -hmm. know? And yes. and I think that's just what I can see Pike doing. So, yeah. All right, let's move to the third episode. Let's do a pandemic episode. So the Enterprise is investigating an abandoned Illyrian colony on Hediment 9. The Illyrians were a race dedicated to genetic engineering, which is a big no-no in the Federation. With an ion storm approaching, most of the crew beams back to the Enterprise, but Pike and Spock get stuck on the planet to ride out the storm, giving Spock an opportunity to investigate the colony archives. On the ship, members of the away team start demonstrating strange symptoms. A vitamin D deficiency and a corresponding hunger for light. Number one is temporarily affected, but lies about it to sickbay. As the infection spreads, she orders a lockdown on the ship. Meanwhile, Pike and Spock cope with a worsening storm and what appear to be wraiths emanating from said storms. Spock deduces that the creatures are not harmful, and indeed they protect the two of them when the ion storm penetrates the structure. The craving for light worsens on board the Enterprise, with Chief Engineer Hemmer going so far as to trying to beam a fragment of the planet's mantle on board. Mbenga decides to sedate those who are infected. Una finally confesses that she was exposed, but her immune system immediately reacted because she is... Wait for it, an Illyrian, and has kept that identity a secret. La'an, infected, heads to engineering to unshield the warp core and soak in those lethal radiation rays. Fortunately, Una stops her in time, and while exposed to the radiation, creates chimeric antibodies that La'an <laughs> absorbed and could be synthesized for the rest of the crew. I had to play that back twice just to make sure I got the description correct. I have no idea what it actually means. Of, but they're made of unobtainium. There we go, yes. <laughs> the episode closes with Una confessing her secret to Pike and offering to resign, but Pike refuses to discipline her. Anna, one way that Strange New Worlds is different from the original series, I think, comes at the end of this episode, when Una adds but then deletes a log entry about whether Pike would have treated her well if she wasn't one of the good Illyrians. That went to places that I'm not sure the 20th century Star Trek shows would have gone. Like, I could have seen Kirk saying... No, you're a good Illyria, you're, you know, and you're you represent the ideals of the Federation and that's how the episode would have ended. Yep. This goes a step further and although Una deletes the the entry, clearly we're supposed to debate this, I I think as viewers. So that was interesting. Yeah, it's caught up with the more nuanced ways we think about race and systemic, you know, discrimination basically, mm -hmm. right? Whereas one of the things that is jarring about watching the original series these days is it, some might say, overly optimistic views of race. Some might say. <laughs> some might say, although I have to admit, I do still like that optimism, but yes, I grant you that. It's a good optimism, and if people yeah. don't already know the, sh the anecdote about MLK writing yes. Nicole Nichols to tell her, stay on the show, you are inspiring 
young black people everywhere, especially young black women. That's a true story. I actually thought that was apocryphal for a long time. It couldn't be true. Because this idea of MLK, like, watching Star Trek seems like such a odd, like, anachronism in and of itself. Oh, I could totally believe him watching Star Trek. Yeah. But, he must. Yeah. I'm sure he was a fan of hers. So anyway. Oh yeah. <laughs> who am I to say overly optimistic? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the one living with the consequences. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, I did like that little subtle piece. Yeah. I also think it's very interesting, and this doesn't get fully explored, mm-hmm. but it's the question that I have, which yeah. is: it is interesting to discriminate against mm-hmm. a race of people who are trying to be genetically perfect. <laughs> yes. And like, I literally, you know, for diehard Star Trek fans, the character of Lon Noonien Singh, clearly a descendant of Khan Noonien Singh, which is a, who's the, one of the big bads in the Star Trek. Who is universe. Khan! <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, totally right. Has to be uh, said at least, like, at least once that way. Yes, you got to do it that way at least right. once. But yes, and I, I let me put this way, that I did like that also because Laon's hatred of or resentment of genetic engineering was earned in the sense of yeah, you would see why she would feel like that. And this is also a theme, by the way, that I think was addressed in Enterprise, the show. Actually, there was a whole arc about augments and and things like that. So I think part of the issue is that this is just canon, like to the point where you can't mess with it. Yeah, that is that is true. I, let me put this way: her giving the log entry and then deleting it was that kind of thing where, like, it suggested, look, we're aware that this is a different time that we're recording this show, and it was good to bring up the issue, at least. I don't know if they'll be able to wrestle with it more, but it's a fascinating one. I hope so, because that yeah. is an interest. Like, they're using Augment as a stand-in for race, right? Yeah. Like, they're saying, and they're trying to ask, what is it that we base our discrimination on? And this right. becomes transparent when she has a conversation with Begna. Right? Mbenga. Yeah. Mbenga. Yeah. Where, where yeah. they talk about the color of their blood. Yes. So. Yes. They're oh, definitely what, trying to make comments on this. Right. That said, there were things that I don't know if entirely worked, and that one of them is in this episode where one of the other one of the other things I think this show is. Oh, we probably different. should have mentioned actually the something that's Well, no, <laughs> I I didn't I didn't include it in the plot description in no small part because it actually it just sort of lays there and I'm not sure what to do with it. But one of the things we learn is that Mbenga is keeping a secret. And the secret is, is that uh, he has a daughter who is, you know, has a fatal illness. And the way that he is trying to extend her life is by basically keeping her in the transporter buffer, which apparently allows her not to experience time. And then once a day, just, you know, having her out for 10 minutes. Every once in a while. He doesn't actually say how often it's me. It's, very strange it's a little strange (laughs) and it's not discussed in the subsequent episode and this is another area though where i think this show is structured slightly differently from the original series because this show clearly likes to have the sort of fourth act reveal that is not necessarily integral to the main plot but winds up sort of spurring things that are interesting i guess but again i don't know if that's going to go anywhere i didn't think it worked terribly well but yeah Chekhov's daughter (laughs) All right, let's get to the last episode. Run silent, run deep in space. So it's Starfleet Remembrance Day, and the Enterprise arrives at Finibus 3 with an atmospheric processor, but the colony has been devastated. They find some survivors on a ship and use a space dock to ferry them on board the Enterprise. While they're doing this, however, with their shields down, a Gorn ship attacks the Enterprise. Wounded, they seek shelter in a nearby brown dwarf. This is all very triggering for La'an, who is a child 
was the lone survivor of a Gorn attack. Inside the Brown Dwarf, Pike manages to use the last functional torpedo to knock out the Gorn ship, but it turns out the Gorn were counting on that as three other ships use that attack to locate and pursue the Enterprise. Pike orders his ship closer to the star, that puts a lot of pressure, literally, on the Enterprise, but even more so on the Gorn ship, which winds up crushing it to death. Then, using a shuttle, La'an and Spock find the two remaining Gorn ships flashing lights at each other. La'an knows she's seen this kind of behavior before, but has suppressed those memories. Spock uses a mind meld to suss out that the ships are communicating with each other. La'an uses her memories to remember how to speak Gorn, and fools one of the ships into believing that the other has been taken over by the humans. Gorn ship number two down. The atmospheric processor damaged in the attack is about to blow. Pike orders Ortegas to slingshot around the black hole and deposit the processor in the event horizon, fooling the Gorn ship into thinking the Enterprise was destroyed. It works. Anna, it can't be a coincidence that physically La'an looks an awful damn lot like Kamina Drummer from The Expanse, yes? What do you mean by coincidence, Dan? <laughs> it's fate. <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. It has to be intentional, right? Like I first thing I texted you yeah, <laughs> about yeah. this series was like you're gonna, there's a character you're really going to like, Dan. <laughs> yes. But I, let me put it this way. I think it, it, it I think it's intentional, it's also superficial. The two characters are not similar. I think they're intended to be badasses, but other than that, I, think I actually They're kind of similar. You think I they're mean, similar? They're both like very duty oriented fair enough kind of cut off emotionally i mean drummer by the end of this you know the by the end of the series like we've seen her grow emotionally and kind of get right. more in touch with herself but yeah the way we saw her at the beginning at the I beginning think, maybe you know that's a fair point like i'm thinking of the drummer of season six whereas i'm not the drummer of season one you're right there's there's more similarities so i think that's a fair point but she has the same eyeshadow i mean like, yes that is a yes, choice she does that's that choice. is definitely yeah and the same hair and like you know a little bit of the same sort of badass demeanor. So, yeah. Now that now I that really we're talking about this, I really liked this episode. By the way, I thought this was the best of the four. I think I, I think so too. I think yeah. it sort of hit its stride with this with this episode. Yeah, the stuff between Spock and Lahan is good. Mm-hmm. It, it just there's a lot of good interplay between the actors. I think they finally kind of found the chemistry. Yeah, and that was probably means there. It's not like they don't have chemistry before this, but it just clicks. Right. And also, like, it, it, how do I put this? The script takes some of the elements of the canon seriously, like Pike sort of in, enticing the Gorn ship to be aggressive and over-pursue and get a ship crushed. That was nice and consistent with the character of the Gorn and consistent with Pike's character. And so, you know, this way, in terms of trajectory, I like where this show is headed going forward. <laughs> Speaking of where we're headed, Dan, I have a question. Yes. Is there IR in this show? Anna, I am arming us with knowledge. And that knowledge is that, of course, there is IR in this show. <laughs> but by the way, I have to say, that line that Spock says, I am arming us with knowledge, is easily my favorite line of the first four shows. I really like that line. I don't know. Just, he, he's that. good. The, yeah. I can't he, remember the Ethan actor's Peck. name, but he's Ethan good. Peck. And yeah. it's it's an interesting kind of, how do I put it? That's a really tough role to give someone, right? Like all yeah. the stuff where you have to recast people as the original right. who's so indelible in our memory. Right. And Leonard Nimoy creating this role that's so fantastic and so actually well done. I don't know if people give him enough credit. Like the acting right. of Spock yeah. is I mean, full, it was, of, it, it, full of it, subtlety. It's amazing to watch. He's very charismatic. And it's truly it's, an original, like it, it, it's an original character. Yes. That's right. So to, to give someone that role, 
you got a high bar. Yeah. And I think he meets it. Mm-hmm. I think I think he does. Yeah. And he has a lot of really good lines. No, I agree. Yes. So the IR on this show is is there's sort of two levels. Um, it, it's nothing groundbreaking, but it's nonetheless interesting. So there is some it's classic meat and potatoes liberal institutionalism. So the premise of the show, and this is, I think, the strongest way in which it echoes the old original series, is the belief that the Federation confers enough benefits to entice potential rivals into becoming members of the Federation. And so that's how, literally, when they explore Strange New Worlds, if there is a Strange New World that has warp capability, they might potentially want that world to join in the Federation. And the Federation is seen as appealing on this show. And note that in this case, in, in, to translate this back into sort of Earthbound global governance, the Federation isn't what we would consider a universal membership IGO. So like an organization like the United Nations, where if you're a country, you're probably a member of the UN. The Federation is like a club IGO. Think the OECD, the Organization of Economic Cooperation Development, or think NATO. These are IGOs where members actually do get significant benefits, but they don't admit everyone necessarily for a variety of reasons. And this is, in fact, consistent with research in international relations that shows that organizations with club benefits can, in fact, reinforce important norms and sustain cooperation. So an organization like Mercosur, for example, can prevent democratic backsliding. Similarly what, with what, NATO. organization like what, what, what? Oh, sorry, Mercosur. <laughs> Mercosur is a... <laughs> Mercosur is a real organization. It's, I know, uh, but like I... I don't think I'm the only person listening to you talk about it. That fair enough. No, no, Mercosur is a it's a South American uh, organization that consisted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds like a vaccine. Uh, Fair enough. That's yes, fair (laughs) enough. But anyway, that's the sort of sort of classic liberal institution. Wait, no, it is South American economic development. Yeah, it's South American uh, sort of economic cooperation, but also when there were some countries that seemed to be backsliding in terms of democracy. That began to be an important part of Mercosur as well. The threat of being ex- of being kicked out of Mercosur prevented some countries that attempted coups from backing down and so forth. And so what is the benefit of being in Mercosur? You uh, get to have somewhat better trade relations with your neighbors. Okay. Yeah. Because it's interesting to me, like I was actually going to jump in in yeah. talking about Federation in general. Because, yeah. you know, my relationship with most franchises is I just dip in and out. I'm not like a franchise steady you know, right. I think you're the same way. Like, n- neither of us are like have deep encyclopedic knowledge of a single franchise. We're just fans. True. Although with Trek, I might be that that might be the closest to where uh, I am to being a completist. Yeah. So, what are the benefits of the Federation, and why is warp drive the thing that they have to achieve? So, I would give two answers to this. the The benefit of the Federation is it's you know is that su- when you get to be beyond capitalism. let's put it this way the clear benefit of the federation is mutual security the idea that starfleet will act as a protector of the peace the warp capability thing is like that goes back to the prime directive which is if a civilization doesn't have warp capability it's not that then they're your enemy or anything it's that you can't interfere right whereas if they have warp capability then you can actually contact i I understand i understand that what i mean is like what is it about having warp capability that means like you're ready to join the federation I think what it means is, is that it's you're sufficiently technologically advanced. Fine. Also, I, no, no, no. I think it's more. I think it's more nuanced than that. I think okay. it means you're technologically advanced, and also you haven't blown yourself up yet. So it's sort of a okay. self-selecting thing. You've become technologically advanced, and also presumably a society responsible, responsible, and, and mature enough to not actually self-destruct and to prioritize space exploration over yes. dominance. Right. 
Exactly. Right? Yeah. But it is also true that mm -hmm. they can't, they extend the protection of the Federation mm -hmm. to almost everyone. Like, even if they're not members of the Federation. They no, don't just let, if you're not a member, no, no, this is, this true. is the, this is, this, this is the story of Star Trek. You're not right. a member of the Federation, your planet's in danger and the Enterprise is nearby. Sure. The Let's, Enterprise so, is going to try and save you, although they won't go on the planet and they're going to try to keep their existence a secret. So I would say a few things. First of all, I think if they're a helpless planet. And that's planet, fine. Yes. I mean, I'm actually, because yeah. it'd be cruel to do anything else. I just think it's interesting. It's not like they're defending the Romulans or the Klingons. I mean, there are no, other, no, no. There are other there, actors it's, out it's there. It's not technologically advanced. Oh, like, yeah. It would be cruel yeah. if you said, yes. this planet is not technologically advanced enough to join the Federation. They're about to be blown up by whatever, right. and we're just going to let it happen because yeah. they are not sufficiently technologically advanced. Although there have been episodes <laughs> in the past where that's happened, or at least it nearly happened. Well, like, I, I mean, I, they I, let yeah. each other blow up a lot of the time. Or, like, right. that yeah. is different. But, like, if there was some, like, a comet or, like, a Romulans or... Right, so like, the comet episode is an example of this, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I think that sums it up, which is to say, if they can interfere and prevent to preserve life without being detected, they're absolutely going to do that. Yes, that's fair. I am curious about when you get to give up, like when you get to join the post-scarcity community, mm. if that's a federation. This is where, uh, look, I, how to I put this gently. <laughs> did you just <laughs> me, Anna? I can't believe you did that. I will, there okay. Be, wait, there should be a description of that. Okay, I fair enough. You. Yes. <laughs> One other interesting thing, I think, at least of this iteration of, of, of Star Trek in terms of Strange New Worlds, is that I do think the show is also something of a meditation on leadership because we see at least three different characters or four different characters trying to sort of figure out how they actually exercise command. I mean, we see Pike doing this, but also number one, to some extent, Spock uh, is trying to learn how to rally the troops. And indeed, Pike actually talks to Lon about morale. And literally, he says at one point, there is the belief that, quote, belief can be the difference between victory and defeat. And that is actually a good lesson in terms of leadership. And so it'll be interesting to watch, you know, how the crew evolves over time. Yes. Yes, Stan. That is very Thank good. You. That is a good summation of <laughs> how this show treats leadership. Yes. I'm glad I did a good summation. Uh, although I still think it's, I still think it's, it's very Kirkian in the whole, yeah. just like, just do it. Come on. I think it's between Kirk and Picard. <laughs> I guess that's the way I'd put it. That I think... is true. It's just that with Picard, because he's got such like calm yeah. gravitas, mm -hmm. when he says, when you, the sort of the, so what happens numerous times in the show is, is that someone tells Pike, we can't do that for whatever reason. And he's right. like, do it anyway. <laughs> right. And that's not something Picard would necessarily have responded with. That's fair. I agree. Although he would be supportive and try to raise the morale and be like, you're going to have to dig deep inside and yeah. do it or whatever. Anyway. Right. Also, I guess I the say, so leadership point, mm -hmm. another thing that seems very Kirkian about Anson Mount's characterization yeah. is there's a lot of not quite fourth wall breaking, but like muttering to self. Hmm. like line like kind of asides to himself where he'd be like he, he, or he'll or he'll like let his guard down kind of almost like in a not yeah. really intentionally to be seen way like right woof, like woof, you know glad we dodged that one and he, it's not really for his crew right Do you know what i mean and it's also something it's not something picard would have done in front of anyone oh else. no that's no, fair. no 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 yeah no, that's no, true no. now that's a good it, point it might be for his crew to right. like let them know let them kind of see a part of himself which again is an interesting it's a different style of leadership. Like, you know, Picard always like wanted to be seen as sort of impeccably in charge. Whereas yeah. I think 
Pike is willing to, like, in some ways he's sharing a confidence. Like, by acknowledging, yeah, that was a close one. Okay. And, like, it's almost signaling the crew, it's okay if you were a little worried as well. I was worried in the moment also. Now that it's over, I can acknowledge that to you. So yeah, that's and I didn't really mean break fourth wall to the audience of the show. No, you I mean break the fourth wall to the, the crew, as it were. Yeah, yeah. And of yeah. course, like we see that also, he has that barbecue. Yes, which crew. is nice. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. He's much more informal with the crew, which is good. Or at least with the, the officer crew. But Anna, I have a question for you. Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this show? Dan. Mm-hmm. Capitalism doesn't care about my feelings, so I don't waste time having any. <laughs> Which is the opposite of true. But, I, but it, yeah. is, it is a waste of time to have feelings about capitalism within the context of this show. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. the show is just, it's famous for its post-scarcity world. There have been books written about this. There have been theses written about it. You and I have debated it. Yeah once on the last yeah, episode i believe so we don't have to do that again let's please not yes <laughs> i will again say trek economics is not the strongest it's, it's an, i will acknowledge that this is a overly optimistic way yes fair enough, about fair enough human endeavor okay. but we can sure. hope i agree with that yes yes and i also point out as i think i pointed out last time you don't need capitalism in universe when you got so much of it out universe. You know, <laughs> That's like true. the show itself is a capitalist engine that produces. Oh, a, how much money has? I mean, that would be something I would look at if an economy. I think we should ask to, our to patrons. Say, yeah, like how much money has Trek generated? That because it's got to be billions. A fair amount. Yeah. It has to be. You know, yeah. especially if you do. You know, account for inflation from the nineteen sixties. I mean, mm-hmm. this is. Dorno would not like it. <laughs> that is that is fair. But I, I leave it this way. In some ways, it I, is I, it is capitalism working, right? It is the right. IP just presenting itself over and over and over and over and, and over I, again. Uh, and it, it's nostalgia. But you and I are actually it's more than said that. over and over. But yeah. that we like that. We want right. that. But I'll, it's nostalgia. But it's more than nostalgia. Like to call it nostalgia, I think is is diminishes it somewhat there's effort being put into these shows the other thing that i think is interesting about trek is that the way to put it is that of all the star trek like when we talk about canon fodder in Mm -hmm. some ways this is the oldest canon that is sort of film or tv can you think of an intellectual property older than star trek that you would continue to watch uh, star trek I, i mean it it is singular yeah in american culture right i would say yeah Star Trek invents the idea of Star Trek fandom. Right. Uh, I mean, even Star Wars. Star is Trek a decade invented later. zines. Invented, yes, know, yes. Invented. It, it, we, don't, we have zines because of Star Trek. Yeah, or it fan invented, conventions. It invented cons. fan conventions. It invented yeah. slash fiction. Like, yeah. it invented fan fiction. Right. It is the genesis of so much and yeah. not just money, right? Yeah. Like, that's right. it is the genesis of. I wonder. I mean, you, if to do a family tree chart of all the different communities that can kind of trace themselves back in some way, right? To Star Trek would be life size map of the world. Yeah, you know. That's so I I enjoy Star Trek's lack of capitalism, although it's also so in fucking inconsistent. It's fine. Yeah, like it's fine. I think it is interesting that that is a function that when they see a perfect universe or when they're imagining a universe that there is no money optimistic yeah there's no money i think that says something dan (laughs) okay and and, and i'll leave it this way i guess the way to put it is 
Even if capitalism is essential to getting there, I do like the idea that it's not necessary once you arrive. So that might be fun. There you yes. go. Okay. Oh, oh. Uh, uh, where is the brown door? Oh, no, it's a can. It's a comment. Oh, God. Love it. Yes. Pew, 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 pew. Pew. It's the debris field. Yes. Where we talk about stuff we haven't already talked about. We've talked about a lot. I don't know how much I have for the debris field. I think we've gotten to basically everything I want to talk about. But I know okay. for sure that you have stuff. I do have stuff. I for, We have brought this up again already, but I'm going to say it again. I will continue to gaze with awe on Anson Mount's hair throughout this entire series. It is. It deserves multiple mentions. It's that fucking. It deserves its own credit. Yes. <laughs> I want to know who hair is Anson, who is Anson, Anson Mount. Who is Anson Mount's <laughs> hair wrangler? Yes, exactly. There you go. I did like the pilot episode ends with Pike literally reciting in the context of the show the Star Trek mission about you know our our mission is to explore strange new worlds and so on and so forth. And that was quite good. And it, it's also good in the, the credits of the show. And again, the font. It's, it's remarkable how we just, you see the font actually evokes this stuff. Um, some of the other characters in the show, I think there's there's a little more hit or miss. Like the engineer, Hammer, who's supposed to be blind. Um, oh, uh, yeah. And, actually, and, so, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, go, go, go. Well, you've reminded me of yeah. disability in the Star Trek universe. That is another interesting. way yeah. that it has been groundbreaking. True. That's fair. Throughout the franchise's run, they represented disability as not a character-defining thing, but something that creates opportunities. Right. And we saw this with Jordan with Forge, for example, The Next Generation. I will admit, though, I'm not terribly interested in Hammer as a character. I don't think they need to do a little more we, with him. We might need more from him. I agree. And, like, and he comes across right. as like an asshole, basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and, but a pacifist asshole. Yes, uh, that they, I liked. I actually really liked that little exchange with him. I agree. That was actually about, he's a pacifist in Starfleet because pacifist doesn't mean passive. Right, and I actually thought that I agree that was actually a really good piece of dialogue. That might have been his best dialogue for the whole four episodes that we watched. But it's telling that we know a fair amount of his backstory now. He is less interesting to me than Ortegas, who is the navigator, who has very little backstory so far, and yet she is given a lot of good lines and is is and reads them well. Particularly this one line during the Gorn episode of Space Really Wants Us Dead, which I thought was just very well done. I am interested to see where they go with her and she yeah. is a her, although she's presented as pretty boyish, I guess. She's not does not present traditionally feminine. We will, right? yeah, like, they, they, there could be, and, we will but, see. This, but for now, yeah. it's interesting because they're doing a thing which you, I know, are a bit, are a big fan of, which is mm -hmm. just putting a character in that might be representative of our marginalized community. Right. And just having that be a character. Right. That we're focusing on her slash they, whatever, as a character as opposed to what is, as opposed to the identity. Although I suspect we will find out a little later. Which could be, but if this is how they're choosing to do it, I, I do yeah. think that's cool. Yes. You know, yes. I mean, just keep doing that. Just keep having characters on who aren't right. defined by this thing that we don't always see on TV. Yes, that's fair. I could be wrong, but I do think the Comet episode in particular set up the possibility, at least, or hints at a possible love triangle between Spock Chapel and maybe Uhura. Um, mm -hmm. Now we know that in the original series, Chapel definitely has a thing for Spock. And weirdly, in the Kelvin timeline in the movies, Uhura and Spock get it on. So I don't know if this is what their intent is, but like, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but but I do think that would be an interesting place to go. It's in yeah. I mean, I I'm a big fan of 
getting to see platonic relationships unfold mm-hmm. between men and women. Right. Right now, their relationship is pretty cool. Yeah. In terms of she's well, she's a sassy. Like she's Uhura. a smart ass. Yeah. yeah. Uhura. Well, so is Chapel. I would add, but yeah. Yeah, I like this Chapel. I've I, the canon chapel has always kind of bothered me like her crush on spock is not fair enough yes no i think, this way, I think they're already doing particularly more. dignified <laughs> well it which is i do feel bad because of course nurse chapel in the original was played by major barrett major barrett who is a gene roddenberry's wife but also mm-hmm. b the same actress played number one in the original pilot in the the yeah. episode who's now played in this show by rebecca romaine yeah who also does a very good job, by the way. Yeah, yeah. she does. I mean, we d- didn't really talk much about the acting, but it's it's good. Like, yeah, it, it's solid. Yeah. Solid is the way it's I would solid. put it. I, I don't mean this in an insulting way. I mean, like, it's it's being propelled. I think the show so far, one of the other things I will give props to, it has just the right amount of Trek canon in it. You know, like stuff that you, if you're a Trekkie, you will immediately pick up. And if you don't, if you're not, it doesn't matter. You're not missing anything. So, like, the fact that the original first contact ship is called the USS Archer, again, that's from Enterprise. The reference to Augments, also, again, from the Enterprise. Khan, Noonie, and Singh, you know, is from various things. So, but again, if you didn't know any of that, it's not going to matter. You will still enjoy the show, I believe. Is there, do they have the shuttle Galileo? They do have the shuttle Galileo, which yeah. was in the original series, which I liked, yes. Yeah. And then finally, Anna, I, I will admit at the outset this might be a touch sexist of me. I miss the the miniskirt unis. I know that they're retro and all 1960s and so forth, but but damn, they were good looking. That's all I'm saying. So yeah, but I understand why they don't have. Them. Well, I'll say <laughs> yes. There is a picture of me somewhere <laughs> going as a female red shirt for Halloween with the, the miniskirt. Mini oh yeah. yes, okay. So well, I mean, well. I can't complain me there, and I think they're it's a cute outfit it's a cute outfit at least on starfleet remembrance day i was hoping they would wear them but no it's fine on starfleet remembrance day i'm not sure that's the time that no it is it's it's, it's, it's literally their version of memorial day yes but but (laughs) you i was a joke i apologize but yes yes fair enough it would have been nice to see this miniskirt i hope i hope the miniskirts make an appearance at some point they don't have to be it would be funny to do that as a way of dealing with the canon part i think that actually why aren't they wearing them exactly yes yes I agree. That would be nice to see. Yeah. I mean, even just if it's an inside joke for all of us that are fans, like right. it would be it would be cool to be like, you know, remember those mini skirt uniforms and how yeah, terrible would, they were? It would be <laughs> like funny how if you like, couldn't cross your legs. It, it would be worth it if like you saw Laan and Uhura or Laan and Chapel like going, Oh, you remember those things? Jesus. Don't get yeah. me started on those things. Good lord. Yes. Yeah. That would have been funny. Why could they made them rompers? <laughs> <laughs> All right. The fact that we're discussing the uniforms makes me think we have really and truly gotten out of the debris field. There is nothing left. We yes. are smooth sailing from here out. Mm-hmm. Number one. Hit it. <laughs> <laughs> Hit it. Uh, actually, I would say Ortegas. Ortegas out. Very good. Keep this channel open for more.